You are listening to the Spacecraft Podcast, conversations on how innovative design can transform the workplace environment. This podcast is brought to you by them, with host Dan Mosscroft. Welcome back to Spacecraft, everybody. And uh, we've brought back uh, Giuseppe and uh, Nikita this time around because I thought it'd be really interesting to get a couple of psychologists on board to talk about COVID now it's affecting everybody but we've also got uh, Olga Vysotska on uh, on the co- the uh, in the conversation as well uh, Olga you went through a long list of all these amazing things you do so I'm going to let you introduce yourself if that's okay hi hi Dan um, so I'm Olga I'm ex-corporate citizen and I built a portfolio career around my genuine curiosity in mental health so different things uh, in maternity mental health, uh, in suicide prevention charities, and also uh, psychometrics and actual training in therapy. Really look forward how this journey evolves. Amazing. And uh, Nikita, do you want to give us a quick refresher about you? No, wow. I'm just obsessed with personality and psychometrics. That's about it. And cool. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Giuseppe, I kind of think of you as like the eternal designer. You're always think you're always solving a different problem every time I meet you. Yeah, COVID is one of those more difficult problems to solve. But uh, <laughs> you haven't since, solved it yet. <laughs> we're, now, we're working on it. Um, but it, but in a way, I think in a small way, I think everybody is a designer, and everybody designs their path uh, through this. And uh, you know me as a workplace. Um, designer, workplace strategist, uh, but I have a great um, and fond interest for psychology and and I like to make that link with design as much as possible. So that I think this this conversation will probably focus on that. Yeah, very much so. I think last time we met, uh, we talked a lot about how psychology needs to be taken into consideration when you're designing office space for a start, you know, particularly on meeting spaces and how different environments should be created to suit psychology uh, of different personality types, right? Yes, we did. And and one of the themes was how does space um, trigger behavior? And, and in, I think in a COVID situation, it's almost like looking at the reverse of that how does how does behavior supported by space how does how is confidence how is anxiety overcome through uh, finding a, a space that um, helps helps put you in in the zone or, or in the mood um, we think of um, if you think of safe rooms um, exist in in the context of um, panic attacks or or other similar contexts, uh, you're looking for perhaps some of us are looking for the equivalent of that um, in their workplace uh, to deal with their COVID panic attack. And there we are taking for granted that we'd have workplace forever. And uh, obviously, you know, I think, again, last time we were talking about, we were talking about how serious technological advancements were and our sort of mental health. Who knew that something this big was going to impact us all so drastically? I mean, talking personally, um, I, I sort of found, I almost felt guilty when I talked to somebody else about my own feelings in COVID because you just know that everyone's going through the same thing. Um, and it, it's kind of so unnerving that everything feels completely out of our control. Nikita, what, why are we all feeling like this at the minute? Well, there's a global pandemic, thousands of people's dying, hundreds of thousands, and the vaccine is being tried and it will be a few months away. And it's normal to feel like this in a global pandemic. But what's really curious is that, let's say, People are not asking for help, and it's something you refer to then. When you feel bad in this situation, you look around and you go, other people feel bad too, so you feel uncomfortable talking about your feelings. Or even more, you might be thinking that, oh my God, other people have it worse than me. And of course, we need to be aware of our own privileges, and other people do have it worse than us. However, it shouldn't take away from our own suffering and validity of it and asking for help. So one of the key things that if you are suffering right now, do reach out for help, do talk to a GP, do contact the employee assistance program of your employer before thinking, oh, other people have it worse than me, so I'm not going to bother. In psychology, when we talk about mental well-being or well-being in general, we always add subjective. So we always talk about subjective well-being. 
because it's your well-being, nobody else's. And you shouldn't be comparing yourself to others or how you think others are going through this. If you're suffering right now, do reach out for help. That's probably the key takeaway. Can I interject on that? Just, just, uh, just, no, well, just to say that um, in best of times, at the best of times, with, within the workplace, um, either you're actively discouraged from bringing your own personal feelings into, into the conversations or work, or certainly uh, it's hard for anybody to spontaneously uh, start to share what's going on, you know, be it, you know, problems that you might have with childcare or, or uh, marital issues or what have, what is it? You don't bring it to work. In fact, work is from that point of view, quite a safe space not to be talking about these things. So the notion that um, uh, we would be uh, uh, sharing how we're feeling about COVID uh, in a workplace, uh, not only that, that we would be aware of the uh, differences that exist in our different experiences, uh, I think it's, it's probably quite far from a, a realistic truth and, and actually probably also not encouraged. I, I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine that in current uh, workplaces there are sessions where people come together with, with the correct distancing, of course, uh, to, to talk about um, what, what their feelings are about coving and their experience coming to work and, and how they found the day. I don't, I'm not sure that that is going on, uh, but if it did, then it would help um, what Nikita was just talking about. Mm -hmm. that, is that a fair comment? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And just to build on that, uh, there's psychological bodies around the world which are providing some really good guidelines and recommendations what employers and employees can do. So, for example, the Australian Psychological Society or Association is very well looking forward to, so you can Google that. The British Psychological Society set up a task force for getting groups of psychologists together to give best advice on, let's say, psychological well-being while working from home. Uh, Australian Psychological Society recently published an article all about recognizing and what to do about um, uh, COVID fatigue, lockdown fatigue. So it's actually people are feeling bored. They are feeling fatigued right now. And it's normal because we're six months into this, actually more. And with this thing, we actually don't know when it's going to end, so to say, because like the vaccine is coming, but when, when will things go back to normal? It's out in the air. So we're fatigued and we're not seeing the date, end date of this. So this is adds to our angst. So this is perfectly understandable. And as Giuseppe pointed out, it's not that we're working from home. We have our whole lives compressed into our domicile. So let's say childcare uh, and uh, oh, marriage. And now you're probably spending more time with your spouse than you ever had before, probably including the honeymoon. And uh, because like you're both at home and you might find a whole different side to this person. Um, and I might find a new side to you as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, it's harder to draw the boundaries because uh, most of us play a lot of roles simultaneously. So if I think about myself, I need to switch between the roles of a partner, of a business partner, of a mother, of a volunteer, of a board member. So how do you negotiate within yourself um, different modes, how you think about each interaction you're part of? And this is completely non-natural to us because... If we interact in different circumstances, we're usually in different places and we have commute between those places. We're not necessarily used to playing this, uh, different roles in the same setting. And we don't really know what impact it has on our memory. We don't know what impact it has on our experience of it. But anecdotally, I heard people feeling they're not as productive as they used to be at work because at work, you know, you're working with your colleagues, you're in the office, and that in itself should reinforce a sense of productivity. Well, your output could be just the same at home, but the question is, do you feel the same level of productivity because you lose in context? And we, we really don't know what the effect of this are because we've never experienced anything like this. Funnily enough, um, quite a few of the talks and things I've been listening to about uh, workplace specifically, a lot do talk about productivity um, and, and looking at productivity at home and things. But but for me, I've got to say, it's almost about survival at the minute. Uh, to to be talking about productivity seems a bit crazy. Yes, I mean, I, I suppose the productivity um, conversation is is initiated by those who are paying your salary. 
thinking about meeting targets and keeping the business going. So it's relevant in that sense. Uh, they also realize that you've got a tougher time uh, doing it. So then is a question of um, how do you mitigate and, and support uh, to get there. I, I've wondered about that because I've worked in organizations where performance targets uh, were not unusual. Um, and the, here's the thing, it's the same kind of balancing act that the government is trying to achieve, that, uh, that companies are trying to achieve. How do we keep the company going? And, 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 therefore, and possibly even if we can, make up for the lost revenue in the early months um, using, you know, maybe during August and September, we had a 15% uh, spike in, in uh, return to business. But at the same time, how do you not burn out uh, your staff and uh, keep them, um, in, you know, keep them supported and healthy? Uh, I think the, the natural tendency for businesses is to, is to prioritize the, the first part of that equation. Um, and, and, and Nikita mentioned various initiatives that would, uh, would make businesses um, support their staff so that they don't. But so productivity always in the context of workplace uh, organizational design is about that balance between a commercial enterprise um, and uh, the, the engagement of people um, to make that commercial enterprise successful. Very rarely is it about um, uh, the, you know, the personal fulfillment or, or satisfaction side of that equation. So that bias exists, has always existed, and we're going into COVID with it. And as far as I can see, that's not changing. Um, so does that make sense? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm saying productivity is... Uh, the, the bias towards productivity is, is probably counterproductive to uh, mental health for, for workers. Absolutely. And to build on that point, Giuseppe, it's also potentially not only from perspective of corporates and profits, I would add it's, it could be also a coping mechanism for individuals. Because yes. quite often, you know, with everything changing, people say, well, okay, if I can be productive despite of this, you know, I have a sense of control. That could also yeah. play a part in it. So people just really want to be productive and pushing themselves harder and harder. Yes. Especially if they're high on conscientiousness and willpower, they might feel it's only after productive they can actually rest because they need to earn it. That's so a really the good point. Is if yeah. the people are just pushing themselves harder and harder, not getting the same kick of productivity, and so feels they need to push themselves even harder. And people mm. can't notice when people are starting to burn out. What I also found out recently, and it's a bit embarrassing to admit, I found out one of the original <laughs> definitions of burnout, because when you think of burnout, you think people like crashed out, stressed, passed out on the couch. Well, that's my associations. But actually burnout is that it's loss of pleasure in things outside of work. Right. Uh, was one of the definitions. And a lot of people lost pleasure in things outside of work because they've been committing to work so much. And therefore, it's a coping mechanism. It's almost self-soothing to check your emails. Because yeah, at least yeah. I got something. I can check my outlook. Right. Oh, my God. At least I have some control. Yes. And uh, therefore, uh, rather than re-engaging with your family or even your kids, because it's like, oh, you know, uh, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. And also loss of tribe. Because we're tribal as humans, you know. That's how we're wired. And work was the main tribe. Your colleagues, you spent more time with them than your family. And you spend more time at work than necessarily at home being awake. And therefore, when you're taken out of this environment, you almost kind of lose your tribe. And therefore, if you can protect at least productivity from this, something that unites you, it can be a coping mechanism. And yes. I think one of the most important things currently happening with, let's say, occupational psychology is that there is no more shared environment of the office. There is no workplace. Everywhere is a workplace. Everywhere is occupational psychology. And therefore, it's actually how can people now find more pleasure in their everyday life and connecting with the family and friends, things outside of work. And I think this is one of the biggest reshuffles. And I certainly, I, yeah, I'm going to go ahead, Dan. Dan. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, th there's certainly been <clears throat> just uh, feedback I've had it's people sort of remembering to spend time with their families and things like that now. I think the biggest issue has been, as we mentioned before, really, that this idea of thresholds. 
mm-hmm. of knowing when to stop. So I'm really lucky. I've got a shed in the back garden. I can wander out here and I get a quite a nice switch off point. So I'll come in here. I know I've got to work. When I'm finished at the end of the day, if I can get away from Netflix, I can manage to get back into the house. <laughs> um, but I, th- I think most people, you know, I, again, I've seen some really good research by Lehman, uh, Leesman rather, uh, and I'm hoping to get Tim Oldman on for an interview. But yeah. um, th- there's some really good stuff about, you know, this group, the groups of people who love being at work, the groups of people who, who like working from home. And the numbers look fairly low about people who aren't aren't happy at home. But I think that what it doesn't show is just how unhappy those people might be. I know there's people in our team that are sat at a dining room table in the shed flat uh, fighting over meeting time because they're all shouting at screens at the same time. So I think for the people who are really suffering, it's it's really not a very pleasant place to be at the minute, especially with these blurred lines of when work and stops and starts. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how the household work is shared between the partners right now, because we're educating our children and we're looking after each other and after ourselves. So would it be very cheeky of me to ask uh, how you arrange the administration of the home in your families? Who is doing all no, I, the... Yeah, it would be very cheeky. <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll happily go first on this because uh, I'm very aware of what a hypocrite I've become because at work, we've aligned ourselves with gender equality uh, as one of the um, UN goals, uh, sustainability goals. Yet, while I've been stuck at home, I've definitely been prioritizing my business because I'm thinking, oh, I've got all these people to employ. I've got to make sure the work's coming in, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and my wife works from 10 till 2, so she's picking up way more of the child duties. So I've been a complete hypocrite. I was just talking to Neil Usher about this earlier today, actually, about the fact that there's a real danger at the minute of us slipping back into almost all gender roles from the sort of 80s and 90s where the man goes back to the office and he gets a bit of spare time for himself and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, it, and it's not okay, is it? It's just not okay. No. But the but the, the the flip side to to kind of make you feel less guilty for being a hypocrite. The flip side is, of that is that um, a role assignment is a healthy thing in the sense that you, it gives you a sense of purpose, um, and and also role allocation is not a bad thing in any uh, marriage. I think it's what we're talking about is the flexibility to switch roles. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's difficult now because what we're looking for, and, and, and Nikita alluded to this, is we, we're longing for a return to routine. Those pleasures that we associated with the routine, we want Christmas back. We want, you know, we, we want strictly on air, even though the people dancing might get COVID. Um, feel free to delete this bit from the... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's staying in. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I think that longing for routine means that we're also long to have the roles that were assigned to us, uh, you know, before COVID. And we're, we're not uh, quite uh, ready yet to let them go completely. But we need the flexibility. We need that definitely. So in terms of uh, assignment... Um, I mean, I'm not going to talk about my household, but uh, but yes, I mean, I think anybody who's been in a in a happy marriage knows that you need that you need to take on the roles that make it uh, you know a fair and equitable arrangement and uh, the chores, so so to speak, and the pleasures. Um, so I'm, my case is particular in that I have been shielding since since the 15th of March. Um, so I'm being a clinically vulnerable person and self-employed. I've been in one of those interesting, challenging categories. And, you know, and, and shielding means that um, apart from Zoom, um, you don't actually uh, get to see anybody, uh, the bubble. And then now you can't even see the bubble. Uh, you can't even see uh, another household. So, um, but, so it means you're going, you're walking, you're doing your walk around the blocks, which fortunately I've got Richmond Park nearby, so that's not too bad. Uh, but you can't do it on a Saturday because Richmond Park is mobbed on a Saturday, so I can't go on a Saturday. Certain things that, that um, means that 
for people who are um, shielding, this is particularly difficult. I'm going back to the point that Nikita made at the start, which is that awareness that each other's experience is very different because of things that we don't know about each other. Uh, you know, maybe you did know that I've been shielding. Maybe you don't know why. Um, will people ask you? Will you say? Um, perhaps you will not say. So I think the, I have this, uh, I prepared some notes before the, this, this conversation thinking and the, the, the topic I thought uh, humorously of giving it a heading called A&E. So A&E is, is what informs everything, which is awareness and empathy. If you're aware of who you're talking to and, um, and why they might behave, why is Pretty Patel, you may delete this bit as well, behaving in the way that, that she does? Uh, maybe, yeah, but maybe there are some issues. Maybe she's having a very bad COVID experience that makes her particularly um, susceptible. Uh, and that's true of, of you know, people around you um, in normal times that you don't really know uh, what they're thinking. You can't really un understand why they're behaving in a certain way. And, and one day something clicks. You get a piece of information which you wish they'd shared with you. And all of a sudden you're seeing it in a very, very different light. Um, I think that the benefit of um, remembering the, the previous podcast that we did, the benefit of asking, getting people to reveal themselves, not fully, but, you know, in part, their personality, uh, keep, keeping the clothes on. It's a theme today. Um, doing that helps you understand where they stand, and it then makes checks. It's a check for you to think how that relates um, it's very hard in this COVID times. People, uh, you know, there are various camps, uh, pro-lockdown, anti-vax, what have you. But it's hard uh, for people to imagine. I hear all the time, oh, the over 75s, we need to. No, I'm not 75. And yet I, I am shielding. I, I am on the list. And uh, is anybody thinking that of that uh, category? And there are so many categories uh, that, that it would be impossible to list them all. So, in fact, we're all different and all unique. It's just I'm really kind of, uh, it's a really nice point about the A&E. Um, it is about empathy towards individual plights. And this is this awareness. Uh, I really like about the situation, the metaphor, we're in the same storm but different boats. Uh, because each circumstance is individual, like Giuseppe just pointed out that he's shielding, but he's not over 75. And there's many little boats, and each boat is individual. And this is what I've been paying attention, particularly in research studies and surveys. We have never got such, well, I have never encountered such breadth of responses. Mm -hmm. So for example, some people when coming back to the office go, I want five days a week, love it, miss the commute. And some people go, I want to move to Aruba because I can, and anything in between. Because I think what's really interesting right now that we lost the shared environment of the office, the shared experience of a commute, almost this archetypical things that everybody could relate to. Like, you know, you say, you got a new job. How long's the commute? Right. It's almost like we all shared these experiences together. Doesn't matter whether you're a, a banker working in Canary Wharf or... Uh, a psychology graduate as a postdoc in a university. We all had the shared experiences which are gone out the window. And uh, that's what's kind of really interesting because when situational demands lessen, let's say pressure, we call it situation strength in psychology, uh, your personality is more likely to play out. Your individual differences are more likely to come uh, to the forefront. Just touching on that, you know, that sort of sense of belonging. I know you're talking about empathy there, but it sort of started from a point of, you know, belonging and being in tribes, as you touched on as well, Nikita. How, how on earth, because, I mean, our business is about creating culture within an organization uh, and understanding brand and how that represents the culture. But, how the hell do you create a culture when all your team are, are scattered to the four winds? So to me right now, though this is a very, very tragic and awful experience, at the same time, there's more individualization, so to say, because there's more individual experiences are coming to the foreground than ever before. 
And mm. I think that if you're going to build, build a culture, which is uh, when your employees are scattered to the four winds, as you said, uh, probably still within commuting distance. Uh, and uh, But what's really important here is that we are all individuals here. And what you're mm. going through might really not be the same what another person is going through. And that understanding has to be fundamental because our experiences of each other at the same time has become more uniform than ever. All our Zoom windows are the same size. You can see the same like two square meters behind me. Uh, of the, our walls are all beige, more or less. And therefore, our experience of each other is very uniform. But our individual experiences are very more individual and diverse than ever. So this appreciation is one of the fundamental building blocks of a culture. That's how I'd see it. Olga, I would build on what you're saying and uh, back to Giuseppe's point. It's not only about empathy to other people, but it's also empathy to yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. In a couple of roles that I'm playing, I realized that there is no way I can be of help or effective unless I look after myself well. So on the reflection, I would spend at least two hours a day um, going for a walk in the nature just to build up that energy and sense of presence that I then can infuse and uh, translate in mm -hmm. every role that I'm uh, mm. doing. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like some of the things had to be let go to make sure that there is a balance and there is sense of well-being within myself then mm. i can interact in a hopefully human and sensible way with other people absolutely and we just did a small workshop on mental health with a clinical psychologist uh, we only had about 30 people on board and we actually asked people how are you taking care of your mental health in the last six months and pretty much it came down to drinking reasonably exercise spending time with family. It was really small things. And somebody remarked, this is really curious because when lockdown happened, first one, people were like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to learn a new instrument. You know, it was all these big things. And now six months on, it's not those things which made a difference. It's the little things, the yeah. things you take for granted, like walks in Richmond Park that Giuseppe mentioned, though yeah. you cannot go on Saturdays. Didn't even yeah. consider that. Yeah. And, uh, other things, it's the little things to take care of yourself. It's like sweating the small stuff of self-care, Yes. even in this uh, environment. And, and I think that makes the connection back to how the environment and how the environment is able to trigger or how you find in the environment some of the, the detail that triggers the positive behavior, especially mm -hmm. in nature, but also perhaps the food tastes better and more enhanced you know the smells are stronger I and mean, we, we we were talking during the summer with the reduced pollution how the air felt um purer but actually maybe that was the fact that we were noticing the air more than the fact that that was even true um so we, we, we were more aware of our environment it's true to say as well that in normal circumstances when uh, the commute takes over and the routine of work takes over um, we'd be hard-pressed to remember what our environment uh, on the way to work and at work even looks like, uh, you know, whether there were flowers on the reception desk when we entered, uh, whether the windows were open or closed, whether it was a, an overcast day or a sunny day. We probably wouldn't remember any of that. We'd just think, oh, how was your day at work? Oh, I had a number of calls and, and a number of meetings, and, and that's what you will be talking about. I think, uh, so the... I suppose the, the flip side of this, if, if, if we can find one, is that it's making us more aware of, of, of our um, physical surrounding and the effect uh, it has on, on us. So, so on that, Giuseppe, I know you've been sort of busy. You've created something called Box Office, um, and it sort of fits into what we're talking about with thresholds and you know, trying to find a, 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 an area that you can work within at, either at home or even I think you know we've talked a lot in the past about uh, open plan offices and how how tough they are to work in uh, what, what have you been working on so it was it was a project that was in the making in the sense that for a long time I was um, bemoaning the uh, the loss of uh, the ability of anybody in work um, to be able to find any any piece that they could call their own, give them themselves an, an expression, some identity. And obviously most designers actually are in favor of this because it means that the design of an office considered as a, 
Gesamtkunstwerk, as a total work of art, is you know totally uh, controlled and it's one thing, and all the deaths have a certain veneer and so on. And and the last thing you want is any user to start messing it up with pencils or or, or phones or private or little trophies and stuff. Um, but I I like that because I think that's actually an expression of life and personality in the office. Um, with agile working, all of that has gradually disappeared. And I thought, what what can how can we give in a small way perhaps uh, something back, perhaps in the form of a product, uh, something back to workers that is about um, uh, their themselves. And then COVID came along, and I realized talking to Nikita and Olga that um, the sense of uh, self is important to kind of keep you going. The sense of, you know, I can do this. Um, I have, um, and, and that's one thing. And the other thing is that um, the sense of place to support your sense of self is also um, quite useful. So um, the initial name of box office was actually Haven because I mean, box office is more catchy, uh, but but Haven Haven expressed the idea of um, the safe room that I mentioned earlier, and of a, a place um, that you could um, a territory, if you want, or an area you can mark out as your own, and um, which uh, becomes your base um, within uh, your home in order to help with the various roles, the role assignments and the role separation we talked about, um, but also at work uh, so that you move away from it and you're engaging and then you move back to it and you feel safe. Are you safe? To some extent, uh, obviously we've made design box office to uh, prevent um, the spread of droplets so that's that's not a difficult thing to do most it's apparently the stock of acrylic screens of acrylic in this country is totally depleted uh, mm -hmm. if you've invested in, in acrylic that would have been a good thing um, as well as PPE of course but uh, the and you but most acrylic screens are designed to pretend that they're not there uh, except for the droplets <laughs> that you can see on them, which is a horrible vision. So delete that from your head. I, I'm thinking of, of something that's a bit of a castle. You know, uh, in fact, I, I've styled it a bit like a castle. Um, it's a place of um, that you can call your own uh, at work or at home, and that's so. That's one aspect of it. Um, and, but the other aspect is that. I like to think as non-design in the sense that it's an object that uh, it's made out of uh, recycled uh, and recyclable cardboard. So it's, um, and it's an ephemeral kind of object, but it's for you to assemble, for you to decorate. Uh, so this is an opportunity to, to do a bit of that. You, could get in, you, you create your own thing, you decorate it the way you like it. You compare it with what others are doing. Um, it's a talking point. Um, and um, it's non-design because you're you're actually in control of it. And I like the way you introduced me as a kind of forever designer, eternal designer. And designers are associated with control uh, because you know because everybody knows that if you spend a lot of time kind of figuring it out, eventually you'll get a good product. But sometimes you can overwork it, and sometimes you control it so much that um, it, it, it has uh, an identity that it excludes others. Um, it, it, becomes, it becomes something that you might buy as a product because you identify with it, but it contains nothing of you. You, you um, project your personality onto it by saying, I'm a bit like that lamp or that car or that piece of clothing. Um, Whereas, you know, if you imagine you bought a pair of trousers and one leg wasn't dyed, uh, you know, and you were... In fact, there are clothes like that. Nike do uh, the shoes, right? Where you could, you know, choose yeah. mo most yeah. of the things on them. Um, I like that because, I mean, it can be a little cynical if it's Nike doing it. But, but uh, I like the idea of uh, unfinished things that are for you to complete. And if you think about it, nothing is ever complete and everything always falls apart uh, mm. and, and needs to be refixed. Um, 
I like to tell the uh, story of the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, which started off as uh, the office of the administration of, of the Medici um, government. Um, and so it was an office building. And then um, one of the, of the Medici's in the two generations after thought to transform the reception area, with, put some art into it on the ground floor. And, you know, acquired, pillaged some art from uh, all over Europe and then some, you know, some of their own. And over the years, then, this became the Uffizi Gallery of Art. Uh, and buildings are like that. They're never one static thing because people change them. They, they, their priorities change. What they do with them changes. And I think that's true also of product. Um, I had an old 2CV covered in stickers, and especially where there was a, a rust hole, um, there would be a sticker and, and the kind of uh, idea that um, 2CVs can do that for you because they're, they're not a completed car as such. Probably help with the rust problems as well, yes, I imagine. Exactly. <laughs> Just a little bit, not so much. Yes. So that's... Yeah, I think, it sounds yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah, what I liked about it particularly is sort of gives you this sort of, as you sort of described it as Haven, I didn't realise it was called Haven before, just this little personalised space that you can sort storm. of lock yourself away yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not locking, you're not locking away, but, but um, I mean, Nikita and I were talking about how you don't need very much um, to create a, a zone, and a, a, you know, a focused light, a bit of deadened sound which is given by the surface that's around you uh, perhaps something that's even people working at standing desks that mm -hmm. find that that transforms uh, their um th their feeling of work because all of a sudden everybody's sitting you're standing your acoustics are different your viewpoint is different that's enough of a change to make you feel like you've created your space the fact that you're standing and you're 30 centimeters or 50 centimeters higher up um, changes everything and mm. I think uh, you don't need very much to do that so uh, again less design and and just light light touches um, I mean I like to talk about the effect of air and sound uh, as those kind of uh, almost um, to non-physical i mean they're, they're physical on an atomic level but non non you know non non-partition like furniture like thing um i think that's fascinating and and just to finish on this um our relationship with the environment is also therefore noticing those unnoticed normally unnoticeable things such as um you know, a quieter room or a lighter room or or the sunset, or stuff, mm. which may sound poetic, but actually it's just, you know, it's purely experience, right? Um, yeah. Nikita, Olga, do you want to chip in on? So, from that perspective, as far as having that little bit of space, yeah, it's a little things can make the difference. So, for example, if uh, you have, let's say, it's not how much control you have affects your well-being, but if you have no control, that really affects your well-being. So if you have a clean desk policy and you can't keep anything, that will really get on your nerves. It's even for people who wouldn't put the little things on their tables when they're told you can't. It's like you made powerless. And therefore, uh, or let's say for people who have their home offices, that's one thing during lockdown. But people who are sharing a flat, that's a bit different. They don't have any space. And if they're renting, you cannot change anything. You cannot decorate. So you have no way to really customize your environment. Or let's say, you know, some places of work said, we can give you 2,000 pounds, like get your office furniture at home. Well, you don't necessarily have place to put this furniture, right? Mm -hmm. So you actually can't exercise that sense of customization and personalization of your environment. And therefore, given a thing like box office, which is very transient, A, it's recycled and recyclable. So that's in itself is really important. Uh, and then you also can personalize the space to it's it's your space You can do whatever you want with this and the fact is that you know, it's cardboard It's not like you know, it's uh, a Fabergé egg you have complete mm. freedom It's almost a permission to play and mm. the permission to self-express and we don't actually know what this is would be uh, a way to so what I mean by this is that our personality becomes more stable as we age 
But the argument is it's not necessarily our personality, but we have a lot more habits as we age. So we surround ourselves with routine, etc. And now this routine of be it commute, be it the office is broken. We also, some of us ask our question, well, who are we if we're not our habits? So I think that with this box office, with this creativity, and as Giuseppe mentioned, people don't tend to be creative, like go on a ride on their expensive bike. To this creative process and customization and making it, it's also part of self-rediscovery or looking back at yourself as well. So I think that in itself can be really productive. And you can mm. do like little things, like for example, it has been, as far as I know, uh, I have a friend who specializes in trauma. And what he says, what really helps the healing is to see things grow. So even surrounding your box office with few little potted plants and see them mm. grow and tend to them can be really therapeutic. It was actually done on Space Station Mir because the Russian space psychologist found that it was so therapeutic for people to tend to a little garden. Each cosmonaut had a little garden on the space station. So you can even create a little garden on the box office. You can surround it with Lego, yes. anything. You can keep yeah. changing it. And I yeah. think that in itself, to have that space, to have that bit of haven, can be really productive and therapeutic in its own self. Giuseppe, I've seen you creating some fantastic things. I'm curious, what is box office for you in terms of um, meaning that you put mm. it? And what's mm. your box office looks like? How uh -huh. did you create it? Yeah. So you've seen my box office. I know because I've shared, I've shared those images with you. But, um, and it's, um, but my box office was the very first prototype. So I was also showing uh, to the manufacturers uh, what, how you could do it and what could be done. And I used uh, decals and stencils. Um, and, um, and one of the, uh, the, the decals, in fact, um, I discovered and, and have since been part of or part of the product offer is you can send upload your photo mm -hmm. and uh, a machine uh, somewhere I think it's in Switzerland uh, cuts out um, the silhouette of your head and it, it sends it back to you it only costs three pounds uh, as a a3 size uh, decal that you then apply uh, you can apply. To, does it have to, to be your, your head? <laughs> it doesn't have to be me. It could be any, it's best if it's you, but it could be your kids or the cat. Um, and, and I think um, basically when I started to do it, I realized that, and this always happens to me, that the, that the um, possibilities are infinite and the ways of expressing um, are also infinite. So you just get caught into, oh, I could do this, and I, oh, I could do that, or I could do this as well. And you end up doing far too much, uh, which is probably an expression of, of my personality in any case. Um, There's obviously, just to back, back to commuting and things like that, well, obviously there's quite a few my team have still got massive concerns about going back to work and, and how, you know, what what's normality going to be like and things like that so just gonna i just wanted to ask nikita really about you know how, how can people address these concerns because obviously we've, we've been in this for so long we've started to create our own new habits as you were just touching on um and 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 normality isn't normal anymore we've got our own sort of mm -hmm. safety zone and i mean especially what you're talking about with box office you've created this sort of safety hub mm -hmm. in a way um to get back out into the big wide world again how how we can how can we handle that? How what can we tell ourselves about going back to that and and starting to getting back into commuting and things like that? Or or is it going to change? There is no going back. It's about to grieve a bit for the past and allowing yourself to do this. Mm. Because the thing is, with personality change, uh, it's uh, research has shown that if you're in a situation for more than six months, which is stressful, it's going to change you. We're changed. We're changed as individuals. Who you are right now is likely to be slightly different to who you were going into the first lockdown. I'm not saying you're going to be diff completely different. Maybe a little bit of less of this, a little bit more of this, but still different. Our family dynamics are different. Our group dynamics are different. And our humanity is different. Because the thing is, we all went through globally through the same experience, all mm. 7 billion of us and counting. When was the last time all of humanity went through a shared experience? Like all of us shared this COVID and pandemic. Probably we were back like tens of thousands of years ago in like the first tribe, first village before we split up. Like this is completely unprecedented. 
And the thing is, and rather than trying to force itself back to how it was, embracing who we are now and just having this time to reflect, what has helped you in the last six months? What are you proud of? Like, what has managed? What has changed for you? What has changed for others? This is why this A and E, attention and empathy, attention to yourself and others, empathy to yourself and others is so crucial rather than trying to get back to the office. Like, because the point is when you come back to this environment, you will discover that you are yourself different. You know, a suit that fit really well now pinches slightly, you know, because... Slightly. Slightly, well, <laughs> yeah, I know. Some people lost some weight, they definitely gained a bit. Uh, and, uh, but uh, it's, uh, that's what's really interesting is to embrace this with curiosity as well. Mm. How we would like to go back differently? Like, for example... Giuseppe was mentioning the air is cleaner. How can we preserve it being cleaner? How can we minimize our environmental impact? What would like to be different? How can we be kinder to each other rather than going back? Because I, I think this is times like this when everything is shaken up. The question is, what do we want to form out of this? Do we just want to go back to normal? The, the fact is, this is normal. Mm. There, is no, there is no normal to go back to. This is normal now. And, and do you think the be. sorry? Do, do you think the conspiracy theorists and you know I, I read the other day that uh, uh, of Trump supporters maybe only fifty three percent would like to take the vaccine. You know, uh, I, I'm I'm loving this, uh, I, but it terrifies me as well. Do you think this is a reaction to the fact that we've lost control or we've lost a bit of power? Where's the conspiracy theories coming from? Well, the thing is with conspiracy theories, there's so many. Did you notice that? Before yeah. we used to have like one or two conspiracy theories. Now there's like dozens, man. They're like replicated like mushrooms after a rain. And I, know, I was happy when it was really like, it, it used to be just Cliff Richards has died when you were in, in Glastonbury. That was the only conspiracy theory I used to have. But it's, it's natural yeah, and it's, like it's, looking, it's looking for answers. Um, and you can read back on the accounts of the plague um, and and how uh, you know various groups would have been uh, identified as culprits or various reasons or certain plants or certain animals to be embraced or avoided. I mean that, and this is before science. Uh, and now that we have science, we're, we're still humans, and we still like to think that there is a other reason, uh, and that's where where they mm -hmm. they come up. Um, but I, I like to talk about the. I like the idea, I've had an epiphany right now about design uh, on this call live, um, which is... <laughs> Still uh, designing. Yeah, which is, which is that actually um, it's, it, it needs to become more porous. Um, a lot of it has to do with, a lot of design has to do with um, codifying uh, and quite, quite rigidly, um, you know, there are technical standards, there are regulations, there are briefs, there are deadlines, there are budgets. All of that is about huge amount of control and management. And in a way, what, what this is, COVID has made us realize there are certain things we can't control. I mean, mm -hmm. if there ever was a force majeure, this is it. Uh, you know, insurance uh, clauses uh, exclude <laughs> most of them have not predicted COVID. Uh, but if it, if it's in there, it's under false measure, and um, and so that what what do you do with that then? Do you try and you know work harder to control it? And the government likes to say they're controlling the virus, and you think, yeah, right. You know, you're not you're not controlling it. You are at best, you are. Uh, avoiding it you're dodging, you're yeah. dodging it but um so if you have less control then what should you be doing and i think that idea that you kind of um let your let it go a bit relax mm. um, i mean i come from many years of working at fosters which is the opposite of a relaxed design um, environment uh, but um and in fact i've never been i've never seen a design studio that is relaxed but the idea of uh, there are certain practices that try and encourage it. Um, I'm thinking of DGW in the very early day when Frank Duffy was trying to promote anthropologists, psychologists, designers to come together in a way that was inquisitive, it was open, there was a collaboration and a curiosity about design that had to do with humanity. 
that kind, that's the epiphany I've just had, is that that is the kind of design, people like to call it human-centric, but, you know, that sounds like another form of control to me. It's, it, you just let some of it happen under uh, adult supervision, um, and so that, you know, it, it falls into place or, or very near, near where you meant it to land, uh, but its final form is, is a form and feel is given by, uh, by the people who, who, who live with it. Um, mm. And um, that's the epiphany I've had. Um, ah, and I've had another thought, which is um, <laughs> that because Nikita was talking about trauma and what we're living through, and I was thinking of war artists, how uh, there were people during the Great War that were commissioned by the government um, and I don't know whether this government has done so, I, I, I doubt it, uh, to record what was going on in, in drawings and paintings, uh, poetry as well, um, in, a way, in a way that expressed the mood of the nation and soldiers and so on. I mean, and in a way, we're all soldiers, right, in this particular war. Um, where, where, where are those records? I mean, wouldn't it be interesting? Because I think if we had those records, uh, it would be easier also retrospectively to to think back on how things were uh, before, after, uh, during. Um, so I'm not volunteering to be a, a COVID war artist, but, but I, you know, maybe that's an initiative we could start. Or oh, I called it COVID soldiers. Um, and Nikita Olga, is there anything you'd like to wrap up with? Well, to an extent, uh, there was this photography competition, and what was really interesting is this kind of the rainbows as well uh, of people sticking in their windows as a sign of support for oh, NHS. Yeah. And just mm. Down the road from us, a neighborhood has turned a bus stop just like the first couple of months when it was really tense of the first lockdown into an art studio, art exhibition of the kids from the street. So oh, we're wow. all sticking pictures to document. Uh, w w their experience, support for NHS, key workers, their families. So there is that need to narrative and artistically express ourselves, especially at mm. times of crisis, because to an extent is how to make sense, how to make sense of this, what we can't necessarily make logical sense of, to express, mm. to draw, to create. And I think keeping that time for yourself, showing yourself mercy and empathy throughout this process, being curious about your reactions and those of others, and acknowledging we are in unprecedented waters and seeing mm. what we can do differently. And it's like, uh, Dan, you mentioned about the vaccine. I'm just so impressed we're able to come up with so many vaccines in such little time. As mm. humanity, we came together like yeah, never I'm, before, you know? Yeah. And this, uh, like, nobody says we created the first vaccine or anything like this. It's like, how many can we get to market? How quickly? Different airlines hooking up with each other in order to deliver those vaccines already. And mm. I always kind of remember um, mm. um, one of this, uh, was it Fred Rogers? Was a child uh, program in US? Yes, yes. And he always said that, you know, when I look at awful things on the news, uh, on the television, my mother always said, you know, look for people who are helping. Yeah, and I think yeah. that right now is just look for people who are helping. Uh, look for what you want to be a part of. Look what we want to continue hopefully after all of this is yeah. dusted. Look for the good. Uh, mm. Look for the good, look for help and be a part of this. Ask, how can I help? I think is one of the most best things we can do and help in our own ways, ourselves and others around us. Nikita, that's a lovely way to sum up. It is, it's thank fantastic. You. Um, guys, uh, Olga, thank you so much. Uh, I'll catch up with you guys soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Spacecraft Podcast, conversations on how innovative design can transform the workplace environment. This podcast was brought to you by them with host Dan Muscrop.